0: Have you ever had um, a vision for something that you want to do, like a picture of sort of like what you hoped for um, that's out there? And, and this could be maybe you want to add a room onto your house. I was at someone's house the other day, and they just had such a clear picture that they were going to add this room onto their house. And they knew exactly how it was going to be laid out, which is just so far beyond my mind to be able to process. Maybe it's in your professional career. Maybe it's you You know that you want to get to this place in your job. Here, It's kind of like it's this thing that's out there for for some of you, it might be a piece of art. You know there's this piece of art that's inside you, and it needs to get out there. And, and, and you kind of have an idea of the finished product. Maybe, maybe for you, it's your family. Maybe you've said, I, these are some of the things that I want for my family down the road. And it's something that's kind of a long way off. And, and for some of you, maybe you've got a really, really clear picture of what that is. You can see it, and you are one of those people that has a very clear idea of where everything's going. And you know exactly how to get there, right? You know all the steps that you need to take. You know all the phone calls you need to do. But I think for most of us, uh, we have a picture of something, and maybe it's a little bit fuzzy, and and we don't really know exactly how we're going to get there. For me, that was my garage. Um, The beginning of this year was a big, big time for me in my garage. Um, The garage has become an area of my house that I do not like walking into. It is the first thing that we walk into. It has become the front door to our house. And some might say um, a hoarder lives in our home. I don't know that I would say that, but it did feel a bit like that. I mean, it was one of those things that 10 times a day, the garage door would open up when we walk in, and it was just overwhelming. My heart would stop, and I would go, something has got to give. It's just got to change, and I I had a picture of kind of what I wanted to be, but mostly my picture was, I don't want it to be what it is. I just wanted it to be different, but I had no idea how to get started. Now I know most of you have watched that show where you just pull everything out and you get rid of it all and your garage is perfect. Or maybe you Marie kondo your whole house and you like know how to do this. I haven't watched the show yet. I listened to like one chapter in the book and we stopped. Um, <laughs> so we needed to get this thing in order. So I had an idea of where I wanted to go, but I needed help. So I had to bring someone in. We actually hired someone to come help us get the garage in order, a garage organizer. If you want her, let me know. She was amazing. Um, But we needed help to kind of get from here to there. We had an idea. At this point, it's, it's still a garage, let's be honest. I mean, it's still just full of stuff. It's just stuff in order in beautiful plastic bins with labels now. But it's something that I don't mind leaving the garage door open now when people drive by. But I needed to know how to get started. I needed to know just the first steps to take. I needed to have a kind of a picture of what it was going to be. I needed someone to come alongside of me and say, here's here's what you need to do. Here's how you get started. But also, here's what you need to be vigilant about, you know, to kind of remind you, like, if I just get a bunch more stuff and put it in there, it's going to return to the same state that it was. I I needed to know some of the principles along the way. I needed to fight against my natural tendency of having space to fill, so let's just fill it back up with stuff, right? We need to be disciplined and focused. I need to be reminded of how to keep up with this thing that I wanted to do. And I think that we all have that in our life somewhere. Again, some of us experience that with the bigger things. Maybe it's in your career or, or your family or maybe it is a room in your house or some sort of project you want to tackle. I see some of the things you guys pull off, whether that's creatively or personally, and, and you're, you're able to do that. And some of it, it's, it's, maybe it's smaller things like cleaning out your garage or you just want to build a discipline. You want to have a habit. Maybe you want to start reading scripture. Maybe you want to exercise. There's something you know that is different than now. and Whether it's buildings or people or, or your personal life, I, I think we all have a hope of what our life would look like. And I think on, on a, a deeper level, uh, we all have a desire that our life would look different than it does now. That, that deep down, there's all these things on the surface that we're dealing with that we're trying to change, make better. But deep down, we, we want our life to be different. We want it to be moving towards something bigger and better and more purposeful. And, and I think for most of us, um, we don't, maybe don't have the clearest picture of, of what that is. We just know it, it should be different than now. It should be better than now. It should be fuller or richer or something more than it is right now. Um, for many of us here as we gather, you know, on Sunday morning and we're at church together, we, we've, we've either come to Jesus, we've we've in a relationship with Him, we've started this journey with Him, or maybe you're still checking Him out and you're here because you're trying to find out more about who He is and what He wants for your life. But we have both of those things because we want a better life. We want a fuller life. We want our life to be more. We want it to be different than it is now. We want a life that looks more like something that is different than what's happening in our current moment. It's better, fuller, richer. It's more of something. It has more than we currently experience. And again, I think for most of us, especially in the spiritual realm, especially in our life of following Jesus, my my guess would be that most, I think would probably be an accurate statement, don't have a, a very clear picture of what that would be. I think we know we want something that's there. That's why we come. That's why we keep pursuing it. But we don't have a a very clear picture of where we're headed in the midst of that. We just know that we want to be somewhere different than now. And a lot of the times the question we're asking, maybe the reason you're sitting here this morning is is because you're asking the question, how do we get there? How, How do we move towards that thing? I know it's supposed to be something, but how do I even get started? Well, Paul and his letter to the church in Galatia, which is this book of Galatians. is a letter written to a church last week. We started this, we talked a little bit about Paul and who he was and what the purpose of the letter was. But he wrote this letter to the church in Galatia. and he's reminding them that, that there is an amazing new way of life for them as a church, as well as individual followers of Jesus ahead of them. Um, he's giving them a glimpse of what it means to live in this new kingdom. Uh, what it's like to be a kingdom citizen under Jesus. That's kind of the lens we're viewing this whole book through. What does it mean to be a citizen under this kingdom of Jesus? If we are followers of Jesus, he has created a new kingdom, a new way of life for us to live under. So he's saying, here's a picture of what that is. But Paul, I, one of the things I love about him, though he was this amazing evangelist, so he did all of these amazing things. Paul was a human. Paul had a rough start. We'll talk a little bit about that. But Paul continued the struggle throughout his life. And one of the things that I have continued to appreciate as we've continued to study scriptures over and over again, God and the writers of these books recognize that we're human, that we have a tendency to go back to our old ways, and they include it in there. They don't hide. They don't ever say, well, we're perfect, so we just get it right over and over again. They say, no, we, we know our tendencies are to go back to our old ways. And he recognizes how easy it is for us to go back to these old ways. And he reminds them in this letter, and especially in this chapter, that they need to be vigilant to the truth and the hope that was ahead of them. And at the end, as we get to the end of the chapter, he gives them a way forward, a way to move towards this new truth. And as we look at it today, we're going to be doing the same thing. We're going to be looking for the same things that Paul had for them when he wrote this letter. We're going to be looking for where we're headed. We're going to be looking for what we need to look out for. And then we're going to look at how do we get there. So we're going to be going through the full book of Galatians 2 today. Um, I'm going to be reading verses 1 through 9. That's not in your bulletin. You're welcome to follow along in your Bibles, on your phone if you want to, or just listen in. The rest of it is printed in your bulletins, what we'll be digging into a little bit more. But I'm going to read and begin here in Galatians chapter 2, verses 1 through 9, so that we can get a little bit of a picture of what's going on. So then after, it says, Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas. I took Titus along also. I went in response to a revelation, and meeting privately with those esteemed as leaders, I presented to them the gospel that I preach among the Gentiles. I wanted to be sure I was not running and had not been running my race in vain. Yet not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. This matter arose because some false believers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves. We did not give in to them for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. And keep that in mind as we're going through this. This is the verse I think that a lot of this hinges on so that we might preserve the gospel for you. Verse six says, As for those who were held in high esteem, whatever they were makes no difference to me. God does not show favoritism. They added nothing to my message. On the contrary, they recognized that I had been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been to the circumcised. For God, who was at work in Peter as an apostle to the circumcised, was also at work in me as an apostle to the Gentiles. James, Cephas, and John, those esteemed as pillars, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace given to me. They agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. So there's a lot in there, a lot of words and all that, but here's kind of what's going on. Paul starts off in this letter, in this chapter here, reminding them that he has a clear presentation in view of the gospel. He has accurate teaching, and he is sharing the good news of Christ, that Christ died, that he was crucified, that he was resurrected, and that this life that he has offered, that he is the Messiah, that he is the one who is to come, he is the one that offers life. In chapter 1, where we started last week, he reminds them that he received this message straight from the source, that he had this message by divine revelation, that it came straight from Jesus. So there was no filter between him and the source. So he, at the beginning of the letter says, now I've got this message right from Jesus. And again, he reminds them, this is the message that I have been given. This is the good news. It is the clearest presentation that I can possibly give to them. And it was affirmed over and over by the leaders of this time, of this early church, that it was the right message. He says that he went to the leaders of the early church and they had nothing to add to it. He wanted to make sure that the church in Galatia knew that this message that he had been sharing to the Gentiles, those who had been far away, was the right message. So he has a clear and accurate picture of the gospel. He knows what the good news is. He's been sharing it the right way. And it's affirmed over and over again by them. And he says that his particular ministry was to those who are far from God, who would not have originally had access to God, to the Gentiles. And it was an important ministry. He says in here that it was affirmed by these early leaders of the church. He had been given a very unique and specific and special ministry to go to those that were far from God. God had been taking care of his people for thousands of years. The Old Testament is the story of God's faithfulness to his people. These people that he set apart and he said, if you follow me, we will be this light to the world. And as Jesus came to be a light to all, to bring all together, he said, no, we need to go reach those who are far away as well, to this other culture, to those who had been excluded from this original group. And he sent Paul out to go do this. It was Jesus' gospel for all was the reason he came, Jew and Gentile alike. They were formerly included and the formerly excluded. They were all brought in. This gospel that Paul had been given crossed severe cultural lines And was the same hope for all who would believe and follow Jesus. So he wants to make sure that they understood where he was coming from, that he was accurate, that he knew it, that he was going far away and he was bringing people to Jesus and he was bringing the church together, that this was a new thing that Jesus had started. And he has this special calling to the Gentiles. He has a special calling to this other culture that had been excluded that was far away and that the other apostles also had a really, really important job to do. He mentions James, who is the brother of Jesus. He mentions Cephas, who was Peter, and John, these early disciples, these close followers of Jesus, that they had this special calling to the Jews, to the people who had been set apart for God, to the ones who were waiting for Messiah. He said, no, you guys have this special calling to them. Keep going and being part of them. Keep sharing with them the good news. So the first part, Paul is saying he has the right message, that it's straight from the source, that it's been affirmed by the church leaders of the day. They had nothing to add to it. And that this was to a people who Jesus desperately wanted included as citizens in his kingdom. Verse 10, he then says, as they were getting ready to depart and continue in their ministry to these different groups, all they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor. The very thing I had been eager to do all along. Remember the poor. I love this, that in the middle of of this message, there's this very simple command, but it's so profound and so important. Um, a friend of mine, Brett Allen, who we've gotten to do a lot of ministry over the years together, he had moved from South Carolina maybe 15 years ago, and when he was leaving, he's always told the story to me that one of his friends said, as you go, as you get settled in this new place, do something. Always be in relationship with the poor. Never forget the poor. Always keep them close to your life, because it changes you. Because it reminds you of God's care for everyone in the world. This is an important part that it's so easy. I think in his instruction to do that, he knows how easy it is when we move to just get around people that we're just alike. Where it's easy to get around the ease of life. It's easy to kind of get in our circles and to get in our groove and to get in our focus of whatever that is. Whether that's our ministry or our jobs or anything else. And it's easy to forget that God cares about all and I love that he gave that instruction to Brett, remember the poor, always be in relationship with them. We had a chance to do that over the years together, the poor in material, the poor in spirit, the poor in physical abilities. And, and it's right there in the midst of this. I mean, he has just built this case of why it's so important to share the gospel, to share the good news to both the Jews and Gentiles alike, both those that had been included, and those that were far away Far away, to all cultures that we need to share the good news by word and by deed That follow it. But, right alongside of saying it. It says, always remember the poor. And he seems to elevate the importance of serving right alongside of saying, that there's not a separation between the two, that they are both part of sharing the good news, that you can't pull those apart. And I think that can become easy to do. We can become so focused on one or the other that either we do or we say, but right here, it's both and. For me, um, over the, the last years, the way that it has played out in my life is being involved with Capernaum. Uh, my friends in high school that have disabilities It's been a way to be with those who are maybe poor in physical or cognitive ability and a reminder that God cares deeply for all of us. That There's a level playing field. For me, it's played out in Malawi over these last few years of getting to know and see how God cares so desperately for people that are far away and has included them in uh, keeping the, the poor close to my heart has been so that I can stay close to Jesus. It hasn't necessarily been all for their benefit though i'm sure at times it has been helpful it's mostly been for my benefit to keep me soft to keep me reminded of his care for all Um, paul was known as a great evangelist maybe the greatest evangelist he spread the church far and wide but he was also known as one who made sure that all were taken care of in all of his journeys he was always bringing money to support those. He was always raising money for the poor. It was an incredible part of his thing. He didn't just rely on one side of it. He had the whole picture. So the early marks of this kingdom citizenship that Paul has been sharing are that the good news of freedom in Christ is for everyone, that it crosses cultural lines and invites in, and that it remembers the poor. That it's, good news is for everyone, that it crosses these cultural lines and invites in and that it remembers the poor. And these are still markers of what true kingdom citizenship look like today. And then something happens in here for Paul to take note and make sure that he takes note of it and he makes sure to share. And that's what we're going to be looking at here. It's in your bulletin, verses 11 through 18. When Cephas, this is Peter, came to Antioch. And again, remember, Peter is the pillar of the church. He's the cornerstone. He's a very important leader of the church. So keep that in mind as you hear this story. When Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles, those who were far away. But when this group arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews, the ones who were following him, joined him in this hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas, one of the other leaders, was led astray When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in front of all of them, you are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? We who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus, that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. Because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. But if in seeking to be justified in Christ, we Jews find ourselves also among the sinners, doesn't that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild what I destroyed, then I really would be a lawbreaker. Remember again, Peter, very important leader of the church, here's Paul and he confronts him to his face. I mean, it is a harsh statement that we begin this with it starts with a very harsh and stark confrontation in front of other people it's probably not the way we would pr- train you to have a talk with someone else right you know when you talk about having to confront someone you might want to pull them aside and have a nice chat and you know be clear and loving but he says no I, I called him out to his face Peter has done something and Paul calls him out hard he checks him hard in front of his people Here's what's happening. Peter's eating with the Gentiles. He's eating with this people group that Paul has been reaching. Those who have been far away, away, this other culture that Jews and the Gentiles did not mix together before, but now they have been brought together through Jesus. And Peter has been eating with them, and they've been brought together, and, and there's been this beautiful picture of unity and being brought with one another. And when some important authorities show up, Peter leaves the table and doesn't seem to want to be seen or associated with these people. He steps out, and he makes it clear, like, ooh, I'm not supposed to be with these people. And as he does that, other people start following him because he's a leader in the church. Formerly, he had said, no, we're, we're together. This is all together. We're at the table together. And all of his followers it seemed, have been following suit that this is the right picture of what kingdom living looks like in this freedom in Christ. But then he steps away and starts separating himself out because they were different, because they didn't have the same marks, because something was going on. And all of these people start following him away because he was a leader and he had authority. So other people start following suit. And Paul calls him out in front of all of them. And he reminds him that Christ set him free, that he brought the Jews and Gentiles together, that these different cultures through him, that all of these different people had been drawn together at a table through him. But all of a sudden, the old ways came back out. And they stepped aside and said, no, no longer can we be seen together. They let this old way of life, this old law, these old things that kept them apart, this old set of rules and demands that were placed on people to be accepted. He started putting this layer of demands on the Gentiles, these people that Jesus said, no, Paul, go love them and invite them in. And all of a sudden, Peter said, no, you've got to do these things to fit in. And Jesus said, no, 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 that was never the intention. We are brought together through me, through faith in me, not the actions of what we do, but by faith in me, by following me, we're brought together. Jesus said, follow me, believe in me, and you were justified through me alone, through my payment on the cross, through my life, through my resurrection. That is what justifies you, not following a set of rules, not by doing certain things, not by having a checklist. Me alone is what brought us together. But Peter, by his very actions, tells them that they aren't good enough to do that anymore. He starts telling them that they need to do a certain thing and that they can't even eat together anymore. So I had to ask the question, why is Paul so quick to haul off and call him out in front of people? Um, I was talking to someone at a wedding, as people do, as, they, as we talk about commentaries on Galatians 2 at weddings, like right, that's kind of normal life for you, you know, during cocktail hour. Um, but I was sitting out there talking and uh, I had met this guy and we were talking about church and life and all this stuff and I said oh yeah and somehow it came up what we were talking about this week and freedom in Christ and what that was like and we started talking about what Peter's life or I mean sorry Paul's life was like before this why why would he have this confrontation why would this be such a big deal why would he save it for us so let's do a quick flyby of Paul It, it was really helpful for me in that conversation as we were chatting to be reminded about who he was and what he had experienced and why he's so adamant in this very particular moment about getting the good news of Jesus right. Paul was a Jew's Jew. Paul followed the rules. Paul had it all together. He was the one who was doing all of the right things. He made sure to keep all of the people out that weren't supposed to be in. He persecuted the Christians, these people that had seemed to be tainted the message. He was keeping them out to the point of murdering people. He was keeping the law. He had all of the rules down, and he took great pride in following it. And then... He has this moment where he's converted from Saul to Paul. He's on the road and Jesus comes to him and his life is changed and he's freed. For the first time in his life, he has experienced full freedom through Christ. He starts experiencing a new way of living. He's experienced grace for the very first time. He's experienced this new hope and life and freedom. He's seen Jesus at work. He's seen the church growing as he's going out and he's seeing all these incredible things happening People giving their hearts and their lives and their treasures over to God that their life can be changed. And he starts seeing the world. I mean, the actual world around him changing as he does this. And he is reaching people that were so far outside of the lines and the very lines that he used to draw. And his life is radically different and I started to think about that. I started to think about the freedom. And maybe you can remember that first moment, that first taste you had of what it was like to follow Jesus. I think as time goes on, we can forget what it was like to find out that we're free, that we have this hope. And I started to think back how amazing that was, how amazing it was to have the shackles just sort of lifted off and the burden of trying to live up to everybody's expectations and to try to make it all right and think, oh, I'm free in him. And Paul has experienced it and he has lived it, and his life is radically different. And then we show up about 15 years later, and he sees the old ways creeping back in. He sees the vision. He sees the law coming back in. He sees this thing that leads him far away from freedom. He sees us and them. He sees the danger signs, and he sees them by one of the key leaders that's in the, this new movement of Jesus' followers. And he knows, he knows that the hope of the gospel is freedom. He knows what it's like to be free because he has been caught up in it and he has experienced every bit of the bondage that was there and he knows what freedom feels like. It's still current enough for him to know what it is. And he knows that Jesus' death and resurrection has purchased and changed his life and he knows that it has opened the doors to the outsiders that have hope because before Paul's transformation, he was in bondage to a law that forced him to murder those that were outside And this transformation opened him to be free in his invitation to all to follow Jesus. And I think this first whiff, this first smell of something different reminded him of the very real consequences of the old lines of the law, the old lines of separation. And he smelled death. I was talking to someone this week and they had gone somewhere and there was a prayer room and they were saying how just they noticed when they walked in that room that it felt different. I mean, if you've ever been in a room like that, maybe you've been into a chapel at church or you've been into a place that's been set aside for prayer and something you can just sense that that ground is holy. There's something different about that ground. But on the flip side, if you've ever been to a place where death has been present, you can get a feel for that as well. And as soon as she started talking about that ground, I thought about the time that I was at Dachau and I thought about the time of being in a concentration camp and you could feel the weight of death and the darkness that still hangs over it and almost you can almost smell. You just feel it. All of your senses are on alert. And I think think that's what Paul saw in that moment. He saw actual death, like something that could lead to death. And he wants to make sure that there is life, a gospel that is full of life. Jesus, John 10, 10, I've come to give life to the full. He knows the fullness of the gospel and the freedom that's there. And I think Paul knew that if he didn't step in right there and that if he didn't make it clear what this freedom was all about, and if he didn't step in to take away the need for anything extra to be put atop this layer and to be tied on top of the gospel, that everything that had been happening, that all of this hope could be undone so quickly, that in moments, all of Jesus' work could be undone for the future generations. And he knows. He knows our hearts, and he knows our lives, and he knows how quickly we can go back to the old way of doing things. When I was thinking about being a, a young Christian, a young follower of Jesus, freedom was so wonderful. And, and that verse that everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. Maybe I read more of the everything's permissible part a lot for a long time. But I think it's one of those things that attracted me to Jesus. I started thinking a lot about freedom this week because that is one of the most attractive things about the gospel is there aren't all of these layers on top of it. It is a gospel of good news and it is a gospel of freedom and hope. And it's a gospel of laughter. I love that as followers of him, we laugh together, we cry together, we have every emotion together, that there's a lightning of the load I remember the first time, again, it was in high school, and I remember the pressures of high school, and I was an achiever, and all of it was built in success, and you've got to do this, you've got to do this, you've got to do this, and I remember just how many nights in the dark crying and just wondering how he's going to make it to the next day. I think most of us have been there at some point. I remember the first time Jesus came in, he took the load off, and I remember just feeling like my shoulders relaxed for the first time. Have you ever lived in stress for so long where it's like going through your whole body, and that's what it was like? And I think in seasons of my life that freedom has probably led me towards Christian hedonism, of freedom for freedom's sake, that everything that God has made is for my benefit and pleasure and to really enjoy that. But oftentimes that freedom, as much as it has pointed towards God, it often, more often than not, points inwards because the freedom was for my sake. That freedom gets turned towards me. It's for my enjoyment or my freedom. But Paul is very quick to paint a picture here that this freedom that Paul is protecting so heavily and so quickly, it seems to be a freedom in Christ that isn't just for our sake individually, but it really plays out in our community and with others. Because the freedom that he was so quick to preserve, the freedom that he was so quick to step in in this moment was around unity in Christ. It was a a freedom that broke down walls and brought us together. It was very interesting to kind of sit in that because it's something that hadn't struck me fully before, I think the reason he was so fast is because he saw the disunity happening. He's like, no, freedom is here to bring us together. There was no longer Jew or Gentile, black and white, rich or poor. They were followers of Jesus. And this freedom that Paul is protecting so heavily, this freedom that he's been sharing in Christ it was really a new citizenship. When we talk about Galatians 2 being a picture of what does it mean to be a kingdom citizen we are a follower of him, our spiritual ID cards no longer read US citizen, Malawian citizen. It no longer says maybe what county we're from or what political affiliation we are, what denomination. It says kingdom citizen. It says that we live under a new rule, a new king, a new hope and a new freedom. We are all of a sudden under the same banner that unites us together and because of that, because all of a sudden we have this new marker of freedom that can draw us together, our tables should look different. Our tables should be a little messy. Our tables should look like the table that Paul saw was happening where the Jews and the Gentiles, where Peter was eating with other people, where all of a sudden the tables were joined together and these things that used to divide brought together. And it was a little messy. And in Peter, when the first time that he had the chance to step away or was felt judged by it, he went back to his old ways. But Paul said, no, this is the way it's supposed to be. Um, I've shared this before, um, I know what number I am on the Enneagram now because Rachel's into the Enneagram, which means I get to be into the Enneagram, um, but I'm a one, which likes order and justice, and so again, that probably paints a lot why I wanted the garage to be in order, probably paints why I wanted the first week of the whole, this whole year, I spent mostly like fixing my desk so I could do work this year, it needed to be perfect, right, to kind of get things going on, but I like order, I like a clean table, um, I find myself oftentimes drawing lines, sometimes physically to keep my little area on the table clean, so this is my section, right? But I realize it doesn't always end with the physical tables in my life. It sometimes extends to the people that I sit with at tables. It sometimes extends to drawing lines because it's easier just to kind of be around what's comfortable or what's there. But when I'm following Jesus well, it's been another one of those things over the last few years, I think, when you see when you're a healthy follower of Jesus and what happens in unhealth. When I'm in a healthy place, when I'm following him well, and when I think about my favorite tables when I'm following him well, they usually aren't the well-ordered tables that I often try to make. I think about my table at Capernaum. I was at camp this past weekend. Again, Capernaum is a ministry to high school kids with disabilities it has been a big part of my life and family. And it's at one of my favorite places we were this past weekend at Southwind, a place where we do family camp and all this. And Capernaum tables are messy. (laughs) They're messy on a lot of different levels. It's messy because there's high school kids involved. It's messy because not everybody has the best motor skills. It's messy because it's family style, and most high school kids don't understand family style. They seem to understand get up and grab across the table style um, or throw rolls at each other style. Um, And it's hard to talk. It's loud oftentimes. It's sometimes hard to understand each other because not everybody speaks all that well, and sometimes we have to yell to one another, and sometimes everybody's indoor voice is a yelling. But being at those tables changes my heart, it changes my life, it changes my world to sit at those tables. And I started to think, and honestly, some of those tables wouldn't have existed until recently as I was starting to do some of the, even just the research on our country, which is a fairly progressive place where we have a lot of freedom. 1990 was the Americans with Civil, or the the Americans with Disabilities Act, which changed a lot, and it changed the accessibility to even have tables. Just an interesting thing to think about in the midst of all that, we're not so far past a lot of these things that kept our tables apart. And this past Monday was Martin Luther King Jr. Day, the day that we celebrated, the day we set apart. And I love that part of my day uh, was sitting there at a table at Capernaum Camp. It was such a great thing because those tables are different. And again, not that long ago, 1964, Civil Rights Act, right? This is not that far past in our history. And uh, things have changed. Our tables can and should look different. It's hard for me to believe that there were laws that kept messy tables from happening laws that drew lines not that far in our past we're not so far past it it's a country and i don't think we're that far past it as people either we need to be changed we draw lines it's what we do and god knew this we go back to our order we go back to easy we go back to the things we know and oftentimes if we're following jesus we go back to the what we knew before when things get hard we go back to our own way of doing things because that seems easier Yet that way is the way that leads to death and brokenness. We know we left it behind, but it's so easy to go back. And Paul knew that. And the first time that Paul saw Peter doing it, the first time he saw him drawing lines, the first time he saw him going back to these old ways, he called him out. But they stayed friends. They stayed co-laborers. You see throughout, the story didn't end there. It led them to be closer together, I think, in many ways. It was a healthy call-out. We need to be called out in love sometimes to be better, to do it better, to live our lives better. And it's one of our hopes as a church that um, we would look more like these kingdom tables, these beautiful pictures of being drawn together and united through him. And I don't think oftentimes that we draw these lines because we want to or on purpose or because of these things, but it's usually by our lack of inattention, by our lack of focus on Jesus, we're being, again, drawn back to our old ways of doing things. So how do we move forward? So we know what we're supposed to move towards, right? This unity in Him. And we know that there's the warning there that it's easy to go back to our old ways and to draw lines and to go back to the law. So how do we move forward? How do our lives look more like what we hope? How do our tables look different? And how does our serving look different? And how do our hearts become more in tune with God? How do we become better and more fully entrenched citizens of this new kingdom? We find it here in Galatians chapter 2 at the end of the chapter, verses 19 through 21. the life I now live in the body. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. If you were wanting to memorize a scripture, there's one you wanted to keep close to your heart to remember why to keep moving forward. This would be a great one. We need to move closer to Jesus and we need to do it together. Uh, we need our flag and our citizenship to be of him, not our political party, our nation, etc. cetera. These aren't necessarily bad or evil on their own, but we should live in a new way that brings us together. We need to keep in front of us corporately as well as individually the question of whether we are headed more towards a freedom that brings us together in life in Christ, or is it taking us backwards into a law instead of rules that leads to death instead of life? I think it's a great litmus test. The, The life you're living with him, is it leading you more towards life or back towards death? Is the freedom of the gospel drawing us closer together in unity, or is it dividing us from other followers of Jesus? This past year, as we were studying the life of Jesus, two of the things that really stayed with me throughout the year uh, were Jesus' prayer for the unity of the church as he was heading towards the cross in his final moments. He prayed, God, keep the church together. Keep my followers together. They will be driven to be divided. Keep them together. And his affirmation that we're salt and light and life to the world when we're together, when we're living under him. And it was that important that he gave his life that we could do that. Unity in him was important enough for him to die for. So we need to allow Christ to live in us through our affections and our attentions towards him, through our pursuit of him and our allowing him to pursue us, to allow time for him in our life, to allow him to change us daily through our reading of scripture and prayer by allowing the Holy Spirit to continue to guide us in all we do. We weren't given every instruction, but we were given a spirit that will help us to make these decisions by serving and remembering the poor, to be at tables that are messy and remind us how far away we were from God and how good the gospel, which means literally good news, to remember how good that good news is. And I'm so glad that we're a church that includes the men and women of the 33rd Street Jail that includes broken people like myself, that includes every variation of our story and every kind of person. That every Sunday uh, when I show up and every time that I'm around people of this church, that I know I'm gonna see a fuller expression of the kingdom of God than if I ever could if I didn't show up. Um, Today, you're actually invited to what will probably be a very messy table of chili. Today is the chili cook-off, but it's more than just the chili cook-off. I mean, in, in itself, it could be a silly thing, right? We're going to have hot dogs and chili, but the purpose of it is to draw us together. It's table fellowship. There is something very important that God sets aside about drawing together around tables together, and we are united by Christ to do that. It's not our color. It's not our denomination. It's not what we have or don't have. We're joined together because we are loved and we are saved by Jesus. So you are invited to not only that table today, but to the table of this church. This church is a table, and sometimes we celebrate it through communion, but every week this is a table set by him for us to serve and to love one another in. Let's pray. God, thank you uh, that you are a God of freedom, that you are a God who cares about us so much that you came to us. In the midst of our sin, in the midst of our brokenness, in the midst of us being a long way off, uh, you ran to us. We think about the picture of the son who went away, the prodigal son, and as he was ready to come home, the father ran, and that's you. You ran to us. You ran headlong into a cross, into a world that was messy, and you did it so we could be drawn to you and drawn together because of that, God. And that is a sobering thought, but it is also one of great delight, that you delight so much in us. That you would do that for us, and that you would come back to life, that you would offer us life, and it's a life and a freedom uh, to draw us more closely together, to draw us more closely to you. And the great truth is, as we lean more fully into you, as we get to know you more, as we draw more closely to you, the only thing that can happen is for us to be drawn more closely together. And if that's not happening, we are not following a true picture of you. So God, help us, help us to draw close to you, the real you, the you that loves so freely, the you that gives life so quickly, the you that has such great hope, the you that unifies around you. God, be with us as we navigate that in our individual lives. Be with us as we navigate that together as the church, and not just this church, but all churches, all who proclaim your name. God, be with all of us as we share this good news with the world, with the news that you have come to give freedom and life and light. God, be with us. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.